justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. By faith are we justified, not by doing or not doing. It's by faith in Christ that we are justified. But see, God uses the feelings of authentic guilt to alert us of the dangers and damage of sin, to protect us from falling into moral, spiritual and physical harm. And then ultimately, his final judgment on those who choose, and I'm saying that, those who choose to remain unrepentant and therefore uh, guilty before God. So to be convicted by the Holy Spirit and feel guilt is a good thing. It's a good thing. In that it's meant to bring about repentance leading to salvation. That's what the Spirit of God wants to do. People who are under conviction can be the most miserable people and the, and the most grumpiest people you'll find because they know what they're doing is wrong. Because the Spirit of God is telling them, they're giving this feelings of guilt in their lives. They're trying to ignore it, but they can't. And so they're cranky and they're miserable until they surrender to God and say, God, all right, have your way. I'm guilty. I just need your forgiveness. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to lead us to repentance. And that's what Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians 7.10. Listen to this verse. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. There it is. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Godly sorrow, saying, God, I've offended you. People crying crocodile tears and they're sorry for getting caught is not necessarily godly sorrow. They're just sorry that they got caught. But people who say, God, I have sinned against you, as David the psalmist did in Psalm 51, for example, is godly sorrow. You know you've offended the Lord, the one who loves you and gave his life for you. And Psalm 51 is a prime example, a great example of someone who had godly sorrow. Just listen to some of the verses that come out of this. Psalm 51, 1 to 4, let me read them. Listen to the heart of David here, the, the psalmist. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, do you see this is the godly sorrow? Against you, you only have I sinned and done what, what, what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Can you hear the heart of that guy? God, I've offended you. I'm so sorry. God's spirit does that in you. You know, I, as I think about that, it was when I first, when I first met Christ really met Christ, it was after, it was after praying a prayer similar to this. It was after the Spirit of God bringing me to that place of godly sorrow and repenting of this. I didn't use those words, but it was God saw my heart and I really met Christ after I prayed a prayer similar to that. See, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. 
You know, and maybe tonight I'm talking to someone here tonight and, and, and you might be in this situation. You, you may need to do this. You may need to say something like this to God tonight before you go home. God, I've sinned against you. Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. God's just wanting to, with arms open, wide to you tonight. He receives you and he'll bless you and gladly give you, forgive you. We'll get on with that in a minute, but maybe there's someone you need, you need to do business with God tonight in this area. The second, secondly, the other kind of guilt is false guilt. And false guilt, as you can probably appreciate, is very different to, to true guilt. It's different to authentic guilt. You see, false guilt does not have a legitimate cause. Nor is the cause always apparent. And yet, and yet it's almost always debilitating in its effects on a person's life, just like it was for Liz in that story that I read to you at the start of this message. Debilitating, paralysing. You know, a person who feels that they just don't measure up Try as they might. They just simply can't achieve that level of expectation, that, that level of perfection that someone else kind of is pressing them to achieve or expects them to achieve. And therefore they feel depressed and they feel unworthy. This person, this person is suffering, I believe, false guilt. Try as you might, you, you just can't make it in someone else's eyes. You know, if you don't live up to expectations, then there's... Every chance, there's every chance that, that you'll have a lot of false guilt dumped on you. You know, do you find it hard to say no? I know sometimes I do, I'll be honest. Do you find it hard to say no to someone who asks you to do something for them and, and then you hate yourself, you know, and, and you allow guilt to kind of well up in you and overwhelm you because you've left that, because you've let that person down. You know, it's called false guilt. And Liz had that problem. Now here's a, here's a, I suppose, a shock part, if you like, or a real wake-up call for us all here tonight. You know, so often the real problem for those who struggle with, with false guilt is that instead of really bolting yourself down and anchoring yourself down in, in, in your sense of self-worth, in your sense of absolute value and security in the God who made you and loved you, instead of doing that, they look to someone else to give them that sense of approval, that sense of approval and value as a person, rather than God. You know, they, they long to please other people for personal approval rather than pleasing God, rather than pleasing God in whom we live and move and have our being. Acts 17, 28. We need to be careful. We need to be careful that we don't ignore our value in God's eyes, which I believe is unconditional. You know? By giving someone else the power and the permission to determine our worth by what their opinions happen to be about us at any given time. Does that make sense? No one has the right, no one has that right in your life because God's already determined how valuable you are. God has already determined how valuable you are. How valuable are you to God? Just look at the cross. Look at the cross. That'll tell you how valuable and precious 
and dearly loved you are to God all the time. And he's not about to change his mind on you and what your value and worth is. People will. Don't allow someone's opinion of you determine your self-worth as a person. They don't have that right. God has the right and he's already spoken and he'll never change his mind about you. And I think that's half the problem of all this cyberbullying as well. So young people, I think probably you're more in that boat. Be careful with that stuff. Don't listen to it. Don't listen to the dribble that some people carry on with you. You've got to stand up and hold your head up and say, hey, you know what? I'm a king. I'm a prince in the sight of God. I'm a princess to God. Because you really are. You really are. You need to remember that Satan, who is called the accuser, he is called the accuser in Revelation, he's an expert. He's an expert at accusing and devaluing you as a person created in the image and likeness of God. He is. You need to be assured that God could not love you any more. I'm sure you've heard this before. He can't love you any more than he does or any less than he does right at this very moment. He doesn't change that. doesn't change that. All right, so how do, we, how do we overcome and handle authentic guilt and false guilt? How do we deal with this? You know, I believe that God has given us some answers by what we see King David doing in Psalm 32. So briefly, and I've got to be brief too, I, I want to just mention three things. So here we go, just nice and briefly, but let me uh, read some scriptures about that too and make a couple of comments. First thing, <clears throat> first thing, Confess any known sin to God. We've got to do that. Confess any sin to God. Verse 3 to 5 in Psalm 32. Let me, let me read that again to you. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then, verse 5, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. There's a beautiful example, folks, of what one of those things we need to do is to confess any known sin to God, release it to him. One Christian writer said that in confession, we open our lives to healing, to reconciling, to restoring, uplifting grace, of him who loves us in spite of what we are. Louis Cassells, Louis Cassells. I love that. In spite of what we are, he loves us dearly. Someone else wrote, many Christians get sick physically. This is interesting. Many Christians get sick physically and emotionally because they're not facing their sins. In his book, Pastoral Psychiatry, Dr. John Bonnell, Bonnell tells of four such instances. Four such instances. Here we go. A university student experienced drumming noises in his head, blurred vision and dizziness. A woman suffered from neuritis. A medical student struggled with, a mental, dis with mental, mental disorders. And a patient lived with persistent indigestion. In each instance, in each instance, relief came when the patient finally broke down and confessed sins that were hidden away. It's interesting, isn't it? Interesting. See, confession really does open the way to healing, which includes 
removal of guilt just like King David experienced in this psalm God wants to take away the cause of the guilt he wants to remove that from you he wants to lift the burden from you will you let him do it will you let him do it number two claim the promise of forgiveness from God Claim that promise, verse 30, Psalm 32, verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And you know, when you pray a prayer like that, you can read the psalm. You can read the psalm and say, Lord, you're saying this. I'm claiming that today because you've said in your word that if I acknowledge my transgression, you've said you will forgive the guilt of my sin. We can hold God to his promises and it's powerful, powerful to pray back the promises of God. When you're doing business with God, pray back his word, pray back his promises. So what happens when our sins are forgiven? What happens to us when our sins are forgiven? We'll go back to verses 1 and 2 of this psalm. The first, th the first three words, blessed is he, blessed is she. Whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Verse 2, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman. Whose sin the Lord does not count against him or her. And in whose spirit is no deceit. Another powerful promise, we've used it before I'm sure here. 1 John 1, 9, do we know that one? Powerful, beautiful, we need to know it folks. Have it written down somewhere, underline it, memorise it. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive our sin and purify us or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise from God. So when Satan comes tapping you on the shoulder and he says, do you remember that time you did that thing? Do you remember that time you said that thing? Do you remember, do you remember? You can say, get behind me, Satan, because the word of God says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and Satan's mouth goes like that. You shut him up, you shut him down. Because the power of God's word, Satan cannot stand against that. He cannot stand against the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, that's the sword of the spirit. Part of the armour of God, you see. All right, some quick revision. Has God promised to forgive you when you confess your sins? Has he promised? Does he say maybe? He says he will. All right. Yes, he does. Then claim his promise. Lay hold of that for yourself and don't forget. Listen to this one. God forgives you. Don't forget you to forgive you. You get that? God forgives you. Don't forget to forgive yourself. Don't forget to forgive yourself. Remember, to be forgiven is blessed. You are in a blessed place. And don't let the devil, the accuser, accuse you or dump guilt on you when your confession has led to forgiveness. You need to recognise the accuser because he's around and he will accuse you. So know God's word, know his word that you are cleansed, forgiven, removed. Anything that's, any sin, iniquity in you is removed when you give it to Jesus. Here's some old sayings. I'm sure you've heard them before, but I love them. I'm going to say them again. When God pardons, he consigns the offence to everlasting forgetfulness. We should try that too. God assigns it to the place of ever, everlasting forgetfulness. Why don't you do the same? So if you said, God, I remember I did that thing, and he says, what thing? I don't remember that. 
You see, that's gone. It's removed from you. He doesn't remember it, so neither should you. The other thing that I like too is this saying, when God buries our sin in the deepest ocean, in the deepest part of the sea, when God buries our sins in the deepest sea, he posts a sign which reads, no fishing. No fishing. Don't dredge it up again. Don't drag it up. It's gone, finished. Number three, quickly. Call upon your acceptance by God. You are accepted to God, by God. God doesn't say, hang on, I'm putting you on hold for a minute. I'm going to check you out for a minute. I'm going to think about whether I'm going to accept you back. The enemy likes to play in your mind with that, but he does accept you. You need to call upon your acceptance by God. Look at his word. Verse, uh, uh, Psalm 32, 7 to 11. Listen to these words. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man, the person who trusts in him. Romans 8, 31, 34. If God is for us, thank you. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. There it is again. It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Bolt yourself down in these truths. We need to do that. And so when you know that you belong to Christ, and are therefore forgiven by Christ, accepted and loved unconditionally by him, it really isn't important. It really isn't important. Um, it, it, it isn't important what others think or say about you. Now, I know it's easy to say, and I know that words still hurt, but when you know that God loves you and has accepted you unconditionally and your sin has been forgiven and removed from you, it doesn't matter what other people think or say, really. Yep, I get it. It does hurt. It can hurt you. It can damage you. But ultimately, it's Jesus Christ whom we have to stand before one day. And if you stand before him justified and you stand before him, he will vindicate you. That's all that matters, folks. In the end, because you may be accused of stuff you've never done and that might live with you for the rest of your life. It does with some people. But if you can stand before Christ and know that you're forgiven, it doesn't matter in the end. And I'm not saying it's necessarily easy because you're in Christ. You have been declared not guilty. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Uh, verse 1 actually. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? You're not condemned anymore. If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. And finally, remember this. Feelings of guilt without the fact of guilt have no reason to exist. Can I say that again? Feelings of guilt without the fact of guilt have no valid reason to exist. Because Jesus has washed it all away. Therefore, there's no guilt. Because the sin that's there, or that whatever was there, is gone, removed. No guilt. Freedom. 
liberty. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Magnificent. What a great God. Let's, let's pray together as we close. Father, thank you for your hand upon us tonight. Thanks, Lord, for, for your word. Thank you for the reminder of scripture. And Father, I just pray tonight that if there be any of our brothers or sisters that are in this place of, of false guilt or even authentic guilt, that they get right with you tonight. And after they have gotten right with you, Lord, could go from this place knowing, knowing that they are acceptable in you, absolutely, unconditionally accepted by you. So powerful was the cross of Calvary. So powerful was the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. All sin. Father, thank you for what you've done for us. And we just thank you tonight for the cross. We thank you for the blood of Christ. We thank you for fellowship and communion. We thank you for intimacy with God himself through Christ. And Father, it's our prayer tonight that you'll grow us closer to you. Draw us closer, Lord. Please draw us closer to your heart. Give us a thirst and a hunger for you. Even as we head into a whole new year with a new, with a new focus, Lord. Maybe it's not new, but it's a, f- a fresh focus for us again. That would excite us and spur us on, Lord to see your kingdom grow and expand in this church, to see people coming to know Jesus in a personal way, to see the baggage of their past removed, gone, forever, and to see them set free to be the people that you want them to be, empowered by the Holy Spirit, led by the Lord Jesus. Bless you, Lord. Thank you for all that you mean to us. And Father, even equip us as people here tonight, equip us with the message that we can share with someone else. Help us to share this this wonderful news of relief and release as we confess our sin and get right with God. So help us to do that even this week, Lord. May you surprise us as to who you might bring across our path. And that we would naturally, in the way that we're wired, the way that we are in our personality, that naturally, Lord, conversationally just share something of your love and of your grace, of your mercy, of your forgiveness, the removal of guilt and shame and all that stuff that would hold us back and hold us down and cripple us. Help us to be released as we gaze upon you, Lord. Get right with God. Let him see our hearts. And and, uh, Lord, let our light shine so brightly, we pray, in the dark world in which we live. Let our friends, let our relatives, our family see Jesus in us. May they be captured by him as they see him alive and real in each of our lives. So we bless you, Lord. Thanks for this great day and we look forward to tomorrow because you're going to be there, right there with us, even going before us. And Father, I just want to pray too that if there be any, anyone here tonight, Lord, who just needs someone perhaps to sit with them and talk with them and pray with them, then Lord, I pray they'll do that before they go home. Maybe someone here tonight needs to give their lives to Christ for the first time. Maybe someone needs to rededicate themselves. Maybe someone just needs to get right with you. Lord, just do that, we pray. Let your spirit just move and brood over this place tonight so that people are right with you before they go home here tonight. We just thank you and we commit ourselves to you, Lord. And say thank you again for being a great God to us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Bless you, folks.
Amen. Would you stand with us and sing our final song? Thank you. 